Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Michael Christie at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Amen. Thank you so much to the worship team. And we may be small, but the sound of worship tonight was just beautiful. So thank you all, and uh, it's my pleasure tonight to kick off our summer series, our summer Sunday series, uh, Hero of Heroes, uh, looking at front and square at Jesus as our Lord, as Jesus as our Saviour. And I need to start tonight by confessing that I've had the sort of week where I've needed to know Jesus as Saviour afresh. I don't know about you, but it started with uh, being sort of overwhelmed by the situation with the fires. And if the devastation and the loss of life and the loss of property wasn't enough, it was the, the sort of anger uh, and uh, the spirit of hopelessness and despair that seemed to pour out from people in response to witnessing these fires, you know, there was so much hatred, you know, primarily directed towards our government, towards our Prime Minister, uh, but just people need saving because within their hearts as they see these things unfolding, they feel hopeless and they don't know where to turn and they don't know who to blame. And so afresh I've been reminded how much we all need our Saviour. And then uh, on New Year's Eve last week, uh, my uncle had a, a massive heart attack all of a sudden, and uh, he was in Augusta on a holiday with his 12-year-old son, and, uh, you know, they'd been out in the morning getting some fishing gear. It's a trip they both look forward to each year. Um, he's separated from his wife, and so life's not easy for him, uh, and this trip is their annual redemptive holiday, and... Uh, you know, my 12-year-old cousin heard a sound all of a sudden and rushed in to find his, his father on the floor unconscious and, you know, he's, he mercifully was able to find people who could resuscitate him and uh, he got flown back to Perth and he's currently uh, in an induced coma and we don't know whether he's going to live through it. And what's worse is that we don't know where he stands spiritually but all we can do is hope and pray and I share it with you because it's been a reminder that life on this earth is short. Our time here on this planet is fleeting and our lives are fragile. You know, we're here one moment and we're gone the next and we only get one shot at this life. I don't know about you, but the greatest tragedy that I can think of for life on this earth is going through it without knowing Jesus as my personal saviour, without knowing him intimately, without having him walk with me and talk with me through each day and without experiencing the joy of his salvation. It's this salvation that we're going to look at today in our passage from Romans 5 verses 6 to 11. The Apostle Paul's writing to Christians in Rome when he says these words, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, it's a beautiful passage. It's a triumphant one in a sense, but it summarizes really what Paul's been writing in the first five chapters of this letter to the Romans. And that message is that every single person born into this world needs saving. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor, handsome or ugly, Eagle supporter or Docker supporter, we all need saving. You know, and he points back to our BC days, our before Christ days, and says that we all face this impossible problem that we cannot solve for ourselves, as Dan alluded to. And he mentions three things, primarily, that we need saving from. The first one there is our state, you know, our condition as human beings, our fallen nature, In verses 6 to 8, he describes us as powerless, ungodly sinners. In other words, it doesn't matter how many good deeds we do or how successful we become in life, how many things we own, possessions, assets, how many friends we accumulate. We are all powerless, ungodly sinners. And dare I say, you are all powerless, ungodly sinners. I am. I'm a powerless, ungodly sinner, Paul is saying. Hurts to hear that, hurts to say it, but that word for powerless there is used to describe people who are so weak and incapacitated by sickness that they can't care for themselves. And what he's alluding to is that since the fall in the Garden of Eden, sin has so corrupted our world, so infected our human condition, That we have no strength to fight against it ourselves. We can't care for ourselves in this condition and we have no cure of our own to heal us. And I don't think we need to look too far to see the evidence of that. You know, we just turn on the news and we see what we do to each other, the things we say to each other. If we look at our own lives, you know, we resonate with the words of Paul when he says, I do not do the things I know I ought And I don't do the things I know I should. In our children, you know, you don't have to teach your kids how to do the wrong thing. Well, I haven't. Maybe you've got remarkable children. But I haven't had to teach my kids how to do the wrong thing. There's something innate in them that just instinctively does it. You know, when they choose the biggest dessert for themselves before their siblings can get there for to do the same when they choose a glass of juice that's the biggest you know the other day I watched the three of them uh, just peer at these three glasses of juice lined up trying to figure out which one was the biggest because they want it for themselves you know we we often have to get them to clean up the living room together And we haven't had to teach them this, but somehow they've created ways to try and get out of this. You know, so they fake toilet trips. They fake the need to go and get a drink. 
they um, deliberately take their toys back to their room, walking incredibly slowly so that their siblings might just tidy it all up for them while they're gone. And it's a five-minute job that takes 30 minutes because instinctively they're selfish. They want to do the wrong thing. (laughs) I made the mistake, poor pastor's kids, today when I preached this message at Kubi. My kids were in the room and my son very much protested. (laughs) You know, that's not what I do. And in that itself, you know, it's his sinfulness because he's trying to cover up what is patently true. I'm not making it up. He genuinely does these things. But in his sinfulness, in his shame, as he hears his own behavior, you know, he, he tries to protest against it. And, you know, this sinful state within us can't just be repaired. There's no self-help, no self-control, no self-actualization that can repair us. You know, and positive reinforcement can't do it either. I've got a friend of mine who's uh, studying teaching at Notre Dame and he uh, tells me that a lot of what, he's only just finished his first year and a lot of what they instruct them to have as their philosophical uh, basis is that all kids are inherently good and you just need to stir that, you know, you just need to point them in that direction and you know, that's what the world thinks because the truth is too confronting. And to say to a child, and I wouldn't recommend this anyway, but, you know, to say to a child that there's something wrong with you, you know, is offensive, but it's truth. And we can't repair ourselves. You know, it's like my first car. Uh, When I was 17, I was a a romantic back then, and uh, I was in love with Datsun 1600s. And I've got... um, (laughs) That wasn't mine, but my first car was this beautiful green Datsun 1600. They have a cult following, so there's not many of them around, and the ones that are aren't the best, and unfortunately that was my experience. But this Datsun I found in the hills, I went out with Dad one day, and uh, it looked okay on the outside, it could drive at the time, and so being a romantic, I snapped it up, jumped at it, and uh, drove it home that day. And for a short time, it was okay. I could get from A to B in this, uh, in this beloved car of mine. The problem was one day, well, I first discovered it when I was driving home one day from somewhere. I was in Riverton, I think it's High Street. And uh, as I was driving down the street, uh, the gear stick came completely out in my hand. Not having experienced this before as a 17-year-old, I did my best to career it off to the side of the road to the nearest car park with enough speed, thankfully, uh, to get me there as I approached the Leach Highway lights and uh, the RAC had to come out, stick it back together and uh, that was enough to get me home. But very shortly after that, I went out to start it up again and it just completely died. And uh, that was it. My poor Datsun, my beloved first car was dead And uh, as a mechanic once said, you know, I repair cars, I don't resurrect them. And this was what my beautiful Datsun 1600, this is where it had gotten to. And, you know, it's the same for us in our sinful state. It can't be repaired. You know, uh, elsewhere in Romans, Paul confronts Jews who thought that by uh, trying to stick strictly to the law, that they could fix themselves. You know, and today we would probably... Look at people who say, oh, I'm a good person. You know, it's the equivalent of that. I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm not a murderer. And, you know, like the law, they think that they're okay because of that. But the law was basically like uh, 
a mirror in a bathroom. And for a coal miner who works hard each day in the coal mines and and gets dirty and grimy, they've had a tough job, they come home and they look at themselves in the mirror and they see the dirt, but the mirror doesn't clean them. The mirror points them to the tap beneath where the water comes from, where they can actually clean themselves. And this is what the law does for us and for the Jews, and it's what its function was by God, but it's not enough in itself. And the issue that we all face is whether we'll stop long enough to look at ourselves in the mirror and see the truth that each one of us is dirty and need to be cleaned. The second problem Paul raises is our status before God. In verse 10, he says that without being saved, we are enemies of God. And he's not mincing his words. That word enemy means open hostility and hatred towards God and who he is. And, you know, we don't often identify ourselves even before Christ as I don't hate God, I don't care about God, but it's a bit like the prodigal son story where the son goes to his father and essentially says, I wish you were dead because I want to go and do what I want to do. I don't want to be in your world anymore. I want to go and live the way I want and follow my own desires. And it's the same as wishing him dead. And in our hearts, that's what we do do. We take a position against him And it leads to all sorts of destruction. The final problem Paul refers to there is that in our sinful state and taking up that enemy position against him, we lead ourselves to face dire situation of eternal consequences. In verse 9, he calls that the wrath of God. Because if life, if real life was a superhero movie... In the movie, God is the in the life, God is the good guy. He's the one who saves the day, and we are the villains. You know, we're not the innocent civilians watching on. We're actually the villains, Paul's saying. And what are the what's the good guy's responsibility in these superhero movies? It's to bring justice against the bad guys so that he can they can make a better safer world you know we deserve God bringing justice and punishment against us as the villains in this story of life and so I wonder if you look at those things and if you personalize it for a minute is it something that has resonated with you or resonates with you tonight or is it something you disassociate yourself from it's an uncomfortable reality I don't try and pretend otherwise. But it's important that we see these things about ourselves because as Jing alluded to tonight, until you recognize your need for a savior, you won't fully embrace him. That's the cold hard truth. You try and keep doing things the way you've always done them. And we don't have to be too bogged down in these truths. Because the reality is the story doesn't end there. The movie's not over. And God in his love and mercy so richly wants to save us. A bit like Darth Vader. You know, Luke Skywalker doesn't try to smite Darth Vader down. 
He tries to turn him away from the dark side of the force. It's a bit of a crass analogy, but God doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to save us and redeem us from those things. And so he sends Jesus to die for us, Paul says, and save us. And in the passage, he refers to three aspects of the way Jesus saves us. And the first there is that he changes us from our powerlessness, from our ungodliness and sinfulness to become righteous saints. He says in verse uh, 9 that because Jesus died for us, we've now been justified by his blood. Another word for justified is, is made right or righteous. In other words, Jesus, God allowed Jesus to suffer and die in our place so that by his blood and his sacrifice, you and I could be declared innocent and pure and clear of all charges. You know, he was treated with the, the thing that we deserved. He was treated as unrighteous so that we could be treated by God as righteous. And now having been made pure by his blood, we can be filled with his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is the one, is the new nature we need, is the resurrection life we all need to be able to start to live a life away from sin and into his good and perfect purposes for our lives. You know, and it's important to understand from this that you and I, if you are in Christ, if Jesus is your saviour, you're no longer powerless against sin. It's not that sin can't affect us or that we don't sin, but it actually, the power of it is now defeated through Jesus Christ. And through his Holy Spirit, you can begin to walk free. That's what sanctification is. It's the power and love of Jesus Christ coming in and so transforming you inwardly that you're never the same again. And who you are at the end of your life will look remarkably different to who you were before Jesus. This is what Christ does to save us. You know, things will come into your life to try and... uh, Make you doubt that. You know, you'll encounter fears. You'll encounter sin again. You know, you do sin after you come to know Jesus. And when you do sin, it's a bit like uh, the tempter in the Garden of Eden. He'll try to make you question whether you're truly saved. If you were really saved, you wouldn't have done that. And he tries to dissuade your confidence in what Christ has done. He tries to fix your eyes on yourself. But it's not yourself that is the Savior. It's Jesus and it's his righteousness in you. It's who God looks at you and sees Jesus. That's what saves you. And that's what can get us back on the road to security in Christ. The second thing Jesus saves us to, according to Paul, is that he changes this status of ours from enemies to reconciled. Verse 10 says that we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And the word reconciled there was used to refer to a wife who had left the home. She'd walked out on her husband, but then been allowed back in, welcomed back into the home, back into right relationship with the husband, and they become one and are united again and stronger than before. And so just like spouses who do this, Jesus is, Paul is saying that Jesus reunites us to the Father, reunites us into his presence, into his kingdom, his home, 
where we can enjoy fellowship with the living God. Jesus saves us into that life with him. And Paul uses a tense there that this has already happened. It's not something where we just uh, live a life of misery until we get to heaven after death. His presence, his reconciliation is now. We can enjoy his love, his peace, his strength, his hope, his encouragement, his goodness, his mercy, his grace. We can experience him, the God of heaven and earth now. His presence is with us and for us every day of our lives. This is what Jesus is saving us to. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about inseparable love of God. Jesus has affirmed to us that his love will never leave us nor forsake us. Not for anything we've done, but because Jesus and his father have done it all for us. The final way Jesus saves us is by giving us his resurrection life. In verse 10, Paul says, how much more having been reconciled, will we be saved through his life? And this is future tense. This is where Paul's pointing to a future day. And that future day is when we pass from this world to the next and find that it doesn't end there. That we come into eternal life with the Father where there's no pain, no fear, no suffering, but joy in his presence forever. And so in closing, I just want to touch on how we can receive this salvation. How can we receive this salvation from Jesus? Well, a little bit before our passage today in Romans 4.24, Paul writes, God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You know, the part that we play in this story of life, in this movie, is to believe and to keep on believing each and every day, to walk into the salvation that he's promised us and that he delivers to us, and not just to believe, but to rejoice in it, to celebrate it, to worship from that place of that conviction and persuasion that Jesus Christ is Savior. You know, Paul's saying that we should be marked by joy. Why do I say that? Because in verse 11 of our passage, he says that we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word boast is another word for saying rejoice. We rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, that means that our lives as believers should be marked by joy. The world should know us for our joy and not our judgment. And so sometimes I know that that can be hard for us to, you know, we don't always feel joy. I appreciate that. And when we don't, we need to see the things that are going on around us in the world that Jesus is doing to encourage us. So I just want to finish with some of the things that, you know, just happened in 2019 that we can see afresh that Jesus is still Savior today. You know, just uh, between the two campuses last year, we had something like 35 to 40, if not more, I'm trying to be conservative, uh, baptisms. 
of people saying, I know Jesus now. He's my savior. And I want to declare that publicly. You know, 20 of those, or around 20 of those people were our youth and our young adults who lead them. It paints a picture of an exciting future as a foretaste. You know, we've seen uh, self-confessed, hard-hearted atheists who said that they were angry with God, that they hated God. We've seen someone like that give her life to Jesus and talk about how she experienced this new light in her life everywhere she went. You know, so she used to live under this dark cloud, so to speak. But when she accepted Jesus as Lord, she began to see everything through new vision, through light that he brings. You know, we've seen a young Muslim mum, a refugee from another country, come into our community and to begin to hear about Jesus and then have visions of him, incredible visions, and begin to pray in his name and see Jesus answer those prayers and uh, to the point where she now tells all her friends, oh, you need to pray to, in the name of Jesus because when you do, things happen. And she's taken Jesus as her Lord and she said the other day, without knowing that this was our series for this month, Jesus is my king and my hero. You know, this is a lady who has never before known even the name of Jesus, but has now given her life to him and is testifying to his peace and his power in her life. You know, we heard Jing's story tonight, coming from communist China, coming from a land where there's no religion allowed, to encountering Jesus for herself. We've started Saturday night services down at Kubi, and we're not really sure how this has happened, but we regularly get uh, atheists and agnostics and people with no church background just rocking up on a Saturday night, each on their journey towards knowing Jesus. New doors have opened up for us as a church last year. You know, there's been an incredible number of new missional opportunities that Jonathan's seen open up. Uh, We've seen chaplaincy take off. We've seen a prison fellowship and alpha in the prisons become something that we're being invited into. Schools that we're being invited into in new ways. You know, it's because the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ is still all to be saved, none to be lost. He's still the saviour of the world today. And I believe that if we remain faithful to what the Lord gives us to do, we'll continue to see lives transformed. We'll continue to see people come to know Jesus as saviour. And as we do, it adds to our joy because we see him alive and at work among us and it fills our heart with his joy. If you hear nothing else from my message today, then please hear this. Jesus is still Savior. His power for salvation is as present as it's ever been. And we're entering into a time where more and more are going to come to know and experience that. And we get to rejoice with them in that. He's still at work as your Savior in your life and mine today, if we would simply believe that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight we just want to revel in you as Saviour. 
We just want to rejoice in you as Lord. Thank you that you didn't leave us in our sinful state. That you came and died and suffered and paid our price so that we might live as new creations. Redeemed, made clean, made whole and empowered to live a life of freedom. Lord, for those here tonight who maybe have never known you personally, intimately, as their saviour. Those who want to for the first time, Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts, that you would open their spiritual eyes, that you would give them ears to hear you calling their name, that you are still saviour, that you still knock on the door and wait for each one of us to open wide and welcome you in. For those, Lord, who are struggling with their faith, it's a battle at the moment. Pray that 2020 would be a time of refreshing of faith, that you would affirm for them even tonight, as Jing mentioned, that you are their father, that they are your son or daughter, that you have accepted them, that you are their saviour. Lord, for those who have lost the joy of their salvation, as David once prayed, I pray too, Lord, restore unto them the joy of their salvation and renew your right spirit in them. May this joy bubble from deep within. May it rise up. May it overflow. Because, Lord, as we rejoice in you, the world sees and it knows and it starts to seek it for itself. Make us irresistible with your joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.